Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, so what do you think might be the most important question you could ask after you read Scripture? You know, maybe a passage that you read or a passage that you study. What questions should you ask? And there's lots of questions we might ask. We study, you know, what does this tell us about God? How, what is he like? How does he do things? Uh, what does it tell us about people? You know, what is our natural tendencies? What does God, uh, you know, how does he want us to act? Or how does he want us to do things? Uh, what does he tell us about the world or about our mission? Or <clears throat> All sorts of great questions we could ask. Uh, when I was... Uh, in my early years of ministry, there was a, a seminary professor who said that the most important question you can ask, in his opinion, was, so what? And I go, huh? That doesn't sound like really religious, does it? So what? But man, when I heard him say that and I started thinking about it, that's a great question to ask when you read the scriptures. So what? So what does this mean, right? So what? I've read it. I understand it. So what? What's it supposed to? I'm supposed to respond in some way. When you see the scripture, you read the scripture, you understand, you're supposed to respond in some way. And so we say, so what? And we ask, well, what would be a fitting way for me to respond to this sermon? Not to this sermon, sorry, to this, the word of God, the scripture. What would be a fitting response? And as I, as I worked on the passage of scripture for this week, it, and it says a lot of stuff. It covers a lot of really pretty deep things. And you could spend a lot of time digging down into all those things. And, and, and so when I'm done reading and I'm trying to think, you know, because I always try to answer that question, so what? And that's what I want to preach to you about. Whatever the so what answers to so what are. And this was a harder one, harder passage, because there's so much in it. And so I thought that, okay, well, what would be a fitting response? And I think there's three things here that would be very, there are probably many more. <coughs> But there are three things that would really be a fitting response and that will be a great encouragement to you in your life as a Christian. So let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Peter. It's page 1391 that's in the, the Bible that's there under the chairs. And if you don't have your own Bible with you, we encourage you to pick one of those up and follow along. We will be on page 1391 today. <clears throat> So last week, we talked about having a passion for God the same way a newborn baby has passion to eat, her mom to feed him. Uh, you know, as newborn babes, it says there in verse 2, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow by. And then he says, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. And so he really picks up from there and he starts, talk, let's talk about the Lord, this gracious Lord. Let's talk about the, his graciousness in our lives. What does this mean? And, and before we start reading, just let me say to you that, that he's going to use an analogy of the idea of building a building. And particularly the idea might be building a temple for God. 
You know, what would that be about? But building a building, only he's talking about not, <clears throat> he's talking about laying the foundation and building on that. He's uh, not talking about like actual stones, a foundation, he's talking about people. We're going to see that there's the, the one main stone is Jesus Christ and that we are stones in that building. Okay, so let's begin reading in verse 4. So he just says, you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Then he says, coming to him as to a living stone. Like we said, not a physical stone, but a living stone. Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Then he says, they're talking about Jesus, right? Now he talks about us. us. He says, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So that's us, we're part of what God is doing. Verse six, therefore it is also contained in the scripture, and now Peter goes back and quotes from Isaiah. <clears throat> says, behold, this is God talking, behold, I lay in Zion, Zion referring to God's people, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. A chief cornerstone. <clears throat> now, I've never been a builder, okay? Uh, I've built some things, and they, it's, it's funny. You know, if you don't start off in the right place, those things get harder as you go. And you start with the walls, and where, you know, I've done all that, okay? But this idea of a chief cornerstone is in the builder's plan, all right, where does the cornerstone go? The cornerstone, okay, it's supposed to be right here. Everything else comes off of that. Everything else is put in place in relation to that. Everything else is built from there up, okay? But where that chief cornerstone has to be there. And so it's saying here that Jesus, is what he's telling us, is the chief cornerstone that God is building this spiritual building on, that he's building us on. If you are going to build your life on something, build it on Jesus. Build your life on him and a relationship with him. Because just like a chief cornerstone, if you can put the chief cornerstone down and keep everything in proper relation to that, the building works. And if you can make sure that Jesus Christ is your sure foundation, he is that cornerstone in your life and everything is built from there, it works, okay? Now I'm not saying it's always easy, but it works, okay? So he's saying that, that I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, that means I've chosen it, it's precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. And the idea here is this idea of being put to shame is to being put to shame in the judgment, in the final judgment. Now, for some of you, this is probably new stuff. For those of you who are watching, some of this might be new stuff to you. Isn't stuff a great word? I just caught my, I try, I tell my, I have speech students, I tell them don't use the word stuff. And I just used it like three times in a couple of sentences. <laughs> In the book of Revelation, it tells us that there will be a final judgment called the Great White Throne Judgment. Um, 
This is not a judgment that Christians will be at. At least we won't stand in judgment. We might be there, but we will not stand in judgment at that because Jesus already took our judgment, right? That's, the, that's what Jesus did. He came and died for our sins, rose again. He took our penalty, our judgment for our sin. And when we, by faith, receive Christ as Savior, okay, he's, that becomes the payment for our sins. And now we're no longer under condemnation. Those things are gone. So we will not stand in the great white throne judgment before the judge. Our sins have already been taken care of. But every person who has not received Christ as Savior will stand in that judgment. And the Bible says that God has a record of everything we have ever done in our lives. And that includes the things we didn't do but should have. He has a record of what our motives were when we did things. He has all of those records. And what he's going to do is go through those records with the people who, who did not receive Christ, who did not respond to God's revelation and faith along the way. They, they find themselves standing before God, in other words, they chose to go their own way and oppose God, even if they didn't call it that. They're standing before God, and the, the record will be read. And it will show time after time after time after time after time how they have sinned and fail to measure up to the standards which God has set. And the Bible says that then there's one more check, one more thing to do. Look to see, is your name in the Lamb's Book of Life? And it will be shown that they are not. And the way you get your name in the Lamb's Book of Life is you receive Jesus as Savior. You receive Christ as Savior. You make that conscious once-in-a-lifetime decision to say, okay, God, I believe. I, I know the truth about me, and I believe the truth about you, and I receive Jesus as my Savior. I put my faith in you for the forgiveness of my sins and eternal life. That's how you get your name in the book of life. Well, everybody who stands in this judgment is going to be... Anybody here besides me have things in your life that you just as soon nobody else knew about? When you think back over your life, would you feel somewhat ashamed if those things were known? I mean, that would be a natural response. Now, in Jesus, we don't have to live there. But I'm saying that's just a natural feeling. Well, how would you like to be staying in this judgment and, and time after time everything is laid out openly? Shame, right? And then the end result is eternity separated from God in hell. Terrible destiny. But this passage says here that God has laid this chief cornerstone as Jesus Christ and he's building on it and it says this. Let's read it again from Isaiah. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. If we will believe, put our faith in him, we will not experience that shame of that judgment and the eternal destiny that goes with it. All right, verse 7. Therefore, to you who believe, to those of you who have received Christ as Savior, to, those, to you who believe, he is precious. Would you agree? Is Jesus precious to you? But to those who are disobedient, this other people who reject him and who, who, who oppose, stand in opposition to God, like I said, even if they don't call it that, 
But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. You didn't want Christ, but guess what? He is the chief cornerstone. You thought you could build on something else. No, sorry. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He is the one that you must build your life upon or you are facing disaster. Verse 80 describes him, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. And let me just say to you that if you choose to be disobedient to God and say no to him, I'm not going to surrender to you. I'm not going to let you be my Lord. I'm going to live my way. I'm going to do my thing. I might even call it religion. I'm going to do all that. He says, if that is you, you are now appointed to disaster. That's what goes with it, okay? That's, that's what goes with rejecting Christ. Verse nine, but you, those of you who believe, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Oh, Father, thank you for that mercy. Please continue to speak to us from your word here that we would understand and be encouraged by what you have said here. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so what is a fitting response to these things, when we ask the question, so what? What is a fitting response? Has anybody besides me noticed that it seems like the world is going crazy at a faster and faster pace? You know, you think of what's going on, you know, the, the, all the, the viruses, the, um, the disasters, the natural disasters, of, the um, <clears throat> politics and politicians, the openness of immorality and increasing immorality. And, and we could probably continue to make a long list, you know, and we say, wow, what's going on? It's, it's happening fast, isn't it? Now, let me say something to you. Um, <clears throat> this seems like a huge deal to us, and it is, but it seems like a huge deal to us because of where we were born and where we live. Yes. Because the rest of the world has already experienced this stuff for thousands of years, okay? Uh, but our nation was founded, when it was founded, not everybody were Christians and they didn't write a Christian document, but their, their view of government and how the, our country was supposed to work was based on a biblical worldview, that there was indeed a God and that there were such things as right and wrong, okay, and that, that God made us to be free and to choose to serve him, and that's what we're supposed to do. Um, and so our nation was built this way, and like I said, our nation has not always acted like a Christian. I'm not saying all government leaders were Christians or have always acted like Christians or that all corporate uh, bodies have always done good things. No, there's been plenty of problems in our country. But I'm saying the basis for it and how it has operated was built on a biblical worldview. 
And where we are, the rest of the world, not so. At least not in recent history. And so we are beginning to experience what a nation experiences when it is not based upon a biblical worldview. Because that is changing. It's not all gone. There are still good people and Christians, but, but it is changing. We see that in our government. We see that in our educational institutions. We see it in the scientific establishment. All this kind of stuff, right? A rejection of a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview is true. Amen. And by the way, where do we come up with the biblical worldview? There's a hint in that phrase. A biblical worldview. That's right. It's the idea. And so if we're rejecting the biblical worldview, you know, things start to change, you know. We aren't going to let you be free to make your choices. We're going to make you make the choices that we think you should make. Whatever the issues are, it always heads in that direction because when you... <clears throat> If, if you and I agree on that this is the word of God, Amen. okay, and, but we're disagreeing about an issue, you and I can come side by side and look together. What does God say about this? We can have this discussion about it, okay? And, and, and when a society works, that, that's good, right? What's really true? What's right? What's wrong? What would be our priority here? How do we do these things? Um, and let me say, because it just crossed my mind, I'm going to say it to you, do not think today that I'm standing up in here and telling you that uh, one political position or that political position or this party or that party, I'm not. That's not what it's about. And we, let me tell you, if you, and I would put myself in this camp, if you see yourself as conservative in your politics, be so careful because we so often think that our conservative view of politics equals the word of God, and it does not. Okay? You need to be a Christian. And the word of God is the word of God. And then politics, we've got to just try to figure out from there. Um, but anyway, so here we are. We're talking about truth. That we can have a discussion about this issue in front of us. We can have that discussion. But if there is no that, wasn't that a, that's a deep theological statement. If there is no that, there is no standard, how do we make the decision? When we don't agree. Well, guess who makes the decision? Whoever has the most power. And that's where we're headed. It's because it's been a rejection, large-scale rejection of a biblical worldview. And if you reject a biblical worldview, that is sinful. That is sin. Okay? You're holding a different view. What we're saying is you've, you've chosen, I reject the cornerstone. You're going to build things our own way, with our own values. It is sin. And, and Proverbs is very clear. It says, righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people, a shame, a problem. It does not go well when a nation turns away from the Lord. And God judges nations in history. And so we, as a nation, will not escape that. I would encourage you to take heart, though, because you remember Lot? Lived in an ungodly place, and even he struggled himself. 
He lived in an ungodly place, but God pulled him out. Okay? And, and, and did not let him experience that judgment. Anyway, I'm kind of getting sidetracked there. Because there's so much in this passage of Scripture. Um, so, it is a sin. And so here's what the, the deal is. is We are experiencing the negative results. And I don't feel like it's going to turn around anytime soon. I, I mean, I, my sense is, I mean, God could send revival. Wouldn't that be awesome if we had this huge millions of people whose hearts were turned back to God? That would be so awesome. God can do that. God, we would love for you to do that. Unless he does that, I don't see change coming. I really feel like just on a life basis that we have topped the hill and are headed down the other side. And that this will pick up speed. And so things get nuts. That's a theological word. Nuts. It is, and it's going to be hard, and we're going to deal with problems. We didn't expect it. This is why, by the way, it's so important that we... Uh, have our relationship with the Lord grounded and that we are confident in him and we trust in him and we are ready and willing to suffer persecution. We believe what Jesus says when he says, blessed are you when men shall persecute you and revile you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. He says, rejoice and be exceeding glad because great is your reward in heaven. And we can embrace that if we need to. But here's what I want you to see. In the middle of all this, have I discouraged you enough? <laughs> okay, look here. Let's go back. <clears throat> right in the first verse we looked at, verse 4. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God. And he, he elaborates on that. Rejected by men, but chosen by God. And so the, I think the first response here that, that I want to encourage you to have and it should encourage us is take heart. God is still in charge. Amen. In the middle of all this stuff, take heart. God is still in charge. <clears throat> now, I grew up in the Methodist church in the early years of my Life and we sang, you know, hymns and some different songs, certainly than we sing it now. But one of the songs we sang was entitled This Is My Father's World. How many of you know that? A bunch of us. Yeah, okay. So here's the third verse. This is my father's world, though let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems all so strong, read it with me. God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? Read it with me. The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. Again, God reigns. Let earth be glad. That is a true, this is true. The world is going nuts. God is still in charge. So you might say, well, if God is still in charge, seems like he's not doing a very good job. Okay? I mean, if you have a job, there's a good chance that you find yourself having to do job reviews. Right? And they tell you how you're doing. They tell you what you're doing well and what you're not doing well and, and all that kind of stuff. Well, if you were put in a position, we want you to do a job review for God. What kind of grade would you give him? I mean, we're Christians. Wait a minute. We can't think like that. Wait a minute. No, no, and I get that. But my point is, is, is 
Can you understand why someone might look at the world and say, you're telling me God's in charge and this is what's going on? I don't understand that. Well, God's got other things going on than we realize. He is in charge and he's letting people make their choices and letting them go. In Peter's second letter, he gives us some insight to that when he says this. He says, go ahead and go to it. Whoops. Yeah, you got to grab that. Uh... There we go. Nope, not that one. It's the second Peter one. See the second Peter one there? It should be there. Nope, second Peter. It should be there. It was there. Okay. Um, so it's not there anymore, Eduardo, huh? This is so valuable. Well, anyway, I can tell you what it says. I'll paraphrase it. In Peter's second letter, he says, don't think that God is slow about keeping his promises. He's not. And I'm paraphrasing. He's very patient. And so he's waiting and giving people an opportunity to turn to him. Because when he calls it all to the end, it's done, isn't it? And so he's waiting. And it said, it continues and it says so that um, yes, but it says that he's waiting and all that waiting gives people an opportunity, more opportunity to be saved. Okay? All right. So, God has a plan. He is in charge. And he's allowing, but he's allowing it for good purposes and for things we probably don't even understand. Okay? But know that there is coming a day when the fact that he is in charge, people will accept that. Against their will, but they will accept it. And this is what Paul talks about when he talks about Jesus. He says, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, that kind of gets everybody in it. Go ahead, the next one. Go ahead, the next slide. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that's coming. That is coming. Okay? So take heart. God is still in charge. When you're discouraged, when you're, you know, when you think about <clears throat> the fact that God is still in charge, uh, that should be encouraging to us. Let's look here in verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Look at this. His own special people. Who's he talking about? Yeah, let's say it, let's say, let's say it this way, let's say me. Who is he talking about? Me and us. That's right. And so the world around us, like I said, because it's, uh, the curse of sin is in the world, and, and so you have all the natural physical problems in the world because of sin, and then you have the, the message of those who have rejected a biblical worldview. And it can beat you down. It can... <clears throat> 
It can um, tell you lies about yourself. It can devalue you and you can buy into it and you're trying to compensate and, and man, it brings a world of hurt into your life. Well, let me tell you, if you will embrace this truth, it can begin to set you free from that. And this is the truth. Be encouraged. You matter to God. Amen. You. You matter to God. So let's look at the verses here. I mean, I, I want you to think about this. Start with, consider what he did to save you. What did he do to save you? His only son, who he loved, he sends into the world to die and take the guilt and blame for my sin, which thousands and thousands of sins. And how do you feel when, when you have to, you uh, deal with the consequences of somebody else's bad choices? Do you like that? Seems unjust, doesn't seem unfair, but... The Son of God willingly chose to do that for me and for you. You matter to God. You really, really do. And then consider how he sees you. Look in verse 5. Again, you also as living stones. He sees you as part of his eternal plans. He's got plans for you. He has a place in this building that he's building where you fit perfectly. He knows that and he values you in that. You matter to him. It says a, a holy priesthood. <clears throat> holy. You know, if I want to think of a word, if somebody asks me, okay, you have five seconds. Tell me a word that, that you would describe yourself with. Holy. Not. <laughs> right? I mean, but I am holy in Christ. That's the thing. He has made me holy. He took my sin, gave me his righteousness. He has made me holy. And it's this holy priesthood, this idea of a priestess who can go to God, go directly to God, uh, and go directly to God even on behalf of others, right? So we have that ability to go directly to God. This is how he sees us. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And spiritual sacrifice, the idea, you know, the Old Testament, they did literal sacrifices. But he's talking about spiritual sacrifices. Those are those things where I do because I, I love him. And because I want to honor him and bring glory to him. And I do those things. And he says, man, that is a spiritual sacrifice that I accept. I accept it. Can you believe it? You can do things that are acceptable to God. Some of you may have a hard time with that because you grew up with a mom or a dad and what you did was never acceptable, never good enough. Not so with God. Now, yeah, he'll help us grow, but he values. You matter to him. Consider your relationship with him. Down in verse 9, you are a chosen generation. We tend to think of generation as a, a period of time. But the word that's translated generation here really is it's more like kin, family. And so you are chosen to be part of his family. He chose you to be part of his family. A royal priesthood. We already got the priesthood. We can go directly to God. But he says you're royalty. You're not like some you know, servant out there who has to come and maybe they can get in. No, no. You are royalty. You can walk in at any point in time and have access to me. A holy nation. You once, before you got saved, the Bible says that you were in the kingdom of darkness. You were under the uh, kingdom of Satan in the world, even if you didn't know it. But when it saves us, Paul says in Colossians, he says he changed us. He took us out of that kingdom 
and put it into his kingdom. And so we're this holy nation. Now we're in his kingdom. We the people of God. And then when he says his own special people. You know, it's interesting. The old King James Version, which when I got saved in many years, is what I read and memorized and all that. It doesn't say that you are his own special people. Anybody know what it says? You are his peculiar people. And when I read that, I looked around and thought, yeah, there's a few peculiar people. <laughs> but if you actually look up the definition for peculiar, even in the English language, what you find is it's kind of like it means unique or one of a kind, very special. So if someone finds a peculiar treasure, it's, it's just unique and valuable. And so that's what this word means, special, peculiar. That's how he sees us. You matter. To God. Can you let that soak in? You really matter to God. Now, that ought to inspire us to something. Right? That ought to inspire us. Let's look here. Verse 9 again. Okay? You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look, that you... Why, why has he done all this stuff in your life? Middle of verse 9, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. And so what would be a fitting response to all of this? Okay? I want you to be inspired. Be inspired. Joyfully and openly share what God has done for you. That's a fitting response. Joyfully and openly share what God has done for you. Be excited about your relationship with God. I want to encourage you to do that. Be excited about it. Get them think about it. You know, because you get up in the morning, you think there's so many other things pressing in. You need to stop and spend just a little bit of time. Say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have a relationship with the God of the universe that I absolutely could not earn, but he has given it to me. And he, he gives me direct access to him. And he, he promises to meet my needs as I serve him. And let's go on. Man, could that get exciting? Amen. Should it bring some joy? Would you like to go out your front door on Monday morning with joy? And every day? And so I want to challenge you. These truths, be inspired joyfully openly share what God has done for you. And I'm not talking about a witnessing technique. I'm just talking about living it out. I'm a Christian. I'm excited. And what will happen if you are joyful and excited about what God has done in your life and you become open about that, you're going to walk through life and, and it's like a, a full cup. And, and, you know, every now and then I, I try to, I've, anybody besides me ever tried to carry a cup of coffee with no lid on it in the car? <laughs> what happens? It splashes out, doesn't it? It spills out. Well, when you and I go through life, that's the way we can be. We're joyful. We're excited about our relationship with the Lord. It affects everything. And so everywhere we go, I'm walking along, and I see somebody goes, <laughs> spills out on them a little bit. And they're like, what is that? 
But the idea is they can begin to see in us that he's real and that he makes a difference and that we are joyful because we have a relationship with him. And if anybody ever got bold enough, like in 1 Peter chapter 3.15, and they ask you, what's up with you? Oh, let me tell you. Right? And God will use us in that way. So take heart. God is still in charge. Be encouraged because you matter to God. And then be inspired. Joyfully, openly share what God has done for you. He took me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I didn't have mercy and he showed me mercy. Share that with people. But you realize that things we're talking about here are not for you unless you have received Jesus as Savior. And this is not just believing about him. This is making a choice to believe in him, to put your faith in him. And so right now, I'd like to give, if you're here today, maybe you haven't done, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And those of you who are watching, I want to give you an opportunity right now to settle this issue once and for all. So let's all just bow our heads here. Close our eyes. This is between you and God, what's going to go on here, not between anybody else. If you are thinking, you know, I hear this, I believe it, but, but I have never made that once and for all decision to, to place my faith in Jesus' Savior, to receive Christ as my Savior. I've never done that. And I want to settle it now forever. If that's you, what I want you to do is just pray along with me. You can pray silently. God knows what's in your mind and what's in your heart. But, and these words are not magic words, but pray something like this to Jesus right now, okay? Say, say to God, say, God, I know that I have sinned against you. I know that my sins have separated me from you. And I know if I die in that condition, I'll go to hell. I believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. And I believe that he died for my sins and rose again. Right now, the best I know how, I put my faith in Jesus as my Savior. God, I receive your Son as my Savior. Amen. Heads bowed, eyes closed still. I want to say to you that if you just prayed that and you were sincere in your heart about it, that God has forgiven every sin you ever have or ever will commit. Jesus died for that and it's done. And, and he, you now have eternal life. If, if, if this, your life ends this day here on earth, you go to be with him forever. And he has just moved in to you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He has moved in and he is going to begin working on you, helping you to grow from the inside out. And I want to encourage you, I want to let you take a very first step in response to what God has done for you. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you that if you prayed with me to raise your hand, nobody looking around but me, I want you to raise your hand and indicate, take a step and say, I I received Jesus as my Savior. Those of you who are watching, I encourage you, send us a message. Please send us a message that you've received Jesus as Savior. So, 
If you, nobody else looking around but me, if you just pray to receive Jesus as Savior, right now, just lift your hand. Okay, I see that one, I see that one, I see that one. Yes, others? Anybody else? Thank you, Father. I come to you and I thank you for those who, who raise their hands to indicate they pray to receive you. I pray, Father, that you just make it so real in their lives. Uh, and these truths that we've talked about today are now true for them. Give them the joy of that. Pray you protect them from Satan's efforts to derail them and that you'll continue to do a great work in their lives. Thank you for this gospel message. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we had three adults today. Pray to receive Christ as Savior. Praise the Lord. Huh? So let me say to you, those of you who, who raised your hand, maybe you didn't raise your hand because you have questions or you just didn't do it, whatever, that's between you and God. But let me encourage you, would you please, please, if, if you can in any way, stop by out here in the foyer, the path. My wife will be there and uh, she'll talk to you about maybe what the next steps might be, okay? Very, very important. All right, God bless you. God is at work in your life and he's in work, at work in our church. And I'm so grateful for that. Thank you, have a great week.